Welcome to Emerging, the official podcast of the Trout Unlimited and Costa Five Rivers program, brought to you by Sims Fishing Products. Emerging is about enabling the young angling community to drive progress in the fly fishing industry and the conservation of the places we love to fish. My name is Joseph Burney. I'm the current Five Rivers Communications intern and will be your host along with Andrew Lafredo. For this episode, we got a chance to talk with Garrison and Corinne Doctor of Rep Your Water to talk about the fly fishing industry, the evolution of their brand, and the connection of their brand to conservation issues across North America. Hope you like it. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to episode nine. Um, we are so happy to be here right now, um, and we're pumped for this episode. We got Andrew here, and we got Corinne and Garrison. Thank you guys for uh, joining. Uh, really looking forward to to talking to you guys. Absolutely. Likewise. Good to be here. So. Uh, just to kind of start off uh, from from the the beginning, uh, where where did y'all find your your love for the outdoors and your love for fishing? Garrison gets to start because he gave it to all of us. <laughs> well, let's see. I'm a Colorado native, and you know, was kicking around and camping with uh, my parents quite a bit. But nobody in my direct family fishes or hunts. Uh, so it wasn't kind of a more traditional pass down from my dad situation. And I can't really tell you why I've always had a screw loose and been fascinated with fish. But since I was just a tiny kid, I have loved fishing. Um, I got a hold of a little spinning rod, you know, when I was a, a tiny little guy and used to catch some brook trout when we were out camping. Um, and then I specifically remember my dad and I were camping up at a high mountain lake here in Colorado and I had my, my little spinning rod. I was like nine or 10 and it was gin clear, you know, high country cutty lake. And you could literally watch them like run from my lure. Like they were terrified of it. Like they would <laughs> just run the other way. And there was an old timer there. I'm sure he was like my age who was fishing a fly rod, fishing dry, dry flies, you know, to risers and catching fish like crazy. And I was like, dad, this is what I need for Christmas. That's awesome. I need a fly rod. So that kind of started my fly fishing, uh, love affair. Um, and, and well, it's carried through my life ever since. And that's- I was kind of an easy sell on the fishing thing. I also grew up in Colorado, um, both sides of my family are from Colorado. My grandfather on my mom's side is a Wyoming family. So really outdoorsy on both sides. Uh, both sets of grandparents hunted and fished and then did not give it to either of my parents, mm. which is bizarre. Um, and, but we hiked, camped, all of that stuff. So I was kind of a nature geek. And then early on in the relationship with Garrison, which was, started like 15 years ago now not to age us we were very young when we started dating <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> actually we were in college field college sweetheart situation um and he took me on a fishing bait like pretty early in the relationship and it was an easy sell just super fun a different way for me to experience the outdoors and it was it's uh been a big part of the life 
for both of us, obviously. That's, that's awesome. That, that connection that y'all get to share through fishing now, uh, Garrison just wanted to go fish and he decided to tag you. (laughs) So I like this girl. I'm going to take her with me. Maybe she likes fishing too. That'll be a match made in heaven. Not every couple likes to do so many things together like we do, you know, have a business together, live together, fish together, but it's for us. Yeah. (laughs) Take notes, Joseph. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. Um, So anyways, uh, getting it more into, uh, rep your water stuff. Um, so I'd be interested to know where did, where did that all start? Um, I guess specifically for Garrison, how did you get into the illustration and the art side of things? Right. Well, so I told you my, my immediate parents and family members, uh, didn't fish at all, but they're both artists. So that piece is definitely, um, it's family tradition. Family tradition, yes. Both of my parents are artists. Very different type of artists, very different styles. But I grew up, you know, being handed a pencil and paintbrush and drawing and painting. And um, it's something that I've always been somewhat proficient at. So you know how it is when you're uh, a little guy and you're kind of good at something. You gravitate towards doing it more. And especially yeah. with that family encouragement. So it's, it's been a huge part of my life since as long as I can remember. Um, it's what I studied in college as well, fine art. So that's a big part of my background. In terms of tying those things together into Rep Your Water, after we graduated and we moved back to Colorado, we were bouncing around doing a few different things. Um, and the recession hit, which seems sort of laughably dramatic in current COVID times, but back then the recession was uh, a big deal and kind of dried up what I was doing for work. So I was picking up work all over the place. And one of the things I was doing was uh, guiding for a local fly shop uh, because, you know, I was in there all the time and might as well get a foot in the door, right? So I was guiding for a fly shop and just looking around at the apparel that was available in the fly shop back then, because this is, um, you know, 11 years ago, there really wasn't a whole lot other than sort of larger fly fishing brand logo wear and specific to that shop. Right. And I thought, man, I think it'd be cool if there was a hat that said, I like Colorado and I like to fish, you know, something that was like a little bit broader, but spoke to the state and the locality, you know? And, um, so I started doing some designs and bouncing some ideas off with Corinne and we kind of went back and forth and I came up with our original Colorado flag trout hat and we started peddling around to some fly shops and, and that's how we started going. Super cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I'm, I'm sure since the uh, 11 years, you guys have gotten much more proficient at, uh, you know, launching products. So, you know, how does like uh, an idea these days come from, from concept to, you know, final, final product? Well, it's funny. We used to be, I think, like the average consumer where it's like, we have this idea, now let's sell it, you know, but when you want to do something right, you do have to do your due diligence. So most ideas start with garrison doodling, you know, it could be just a quick sketch or something 
probably you have watched some of his time lapses on Instagram. You know, it could be something a little bit more put together. And then together we have a lot of fun looking at his pieces and saying, wow, that would look really good on X, Y, or Z product. Um, and then really building it out from there. What's really tricky is we get so excited about these things, but most of them don't come out for six to 10 months after we have the idea. Like to give you perspective, it's mid-January and we have, we're wrapping up our fall 2021 catalog. So everything that we're building into this catalog right now won't be available until like early August of this year. So seven months of waiting on all these fun ideas that we just can't wait to share with people. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. Also just like thinking about the fall, like you're always thinking like a year in advance and I'm sure like, you know, COVID has really, you know, really changed the market and how can you anticipate something like that? Right. And just like market shifts and what people want six, 10 months from now. Right. So, you know, I know the fly fishing industry as a whole is doing really well during this time. Do you guys kind of see some new anglers coming in the door? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it was scary at first. Like we thought we might be, that might be the end of rep your water. You know, historically we push, most of our product through small specialty retailers, primarily fly shops, right? And during that first big COVID shutdown, like obviously those shops aren't taking on their orders anymore. So they couldn't be open. Yeah. They couldn't be open. So it was pretty scary. We weren't really sure how it was going to pan out. But as you mentioned, so many people coming to the sport and so many people outside, and those shops have been, you know, figured out how to do some great business. Um, and we've seen uh, a huge influx of new new people, which is exciting. I think there's also been a great resurgence of people who maybe five years ago, they fished a little bit, they kind of liked it, but life got in the way. Mm-hmm. And so they're back now. You know, like these people were like, they just needed a little kick of like, you can't hang out with people inside now, go spend time on the water. And so they're back. So we have definitely seen that story we get people sending us direct messages and emails to that effect all the time. So it's, it's cool to see the community growing um, for participants and in the industry. And, and we've enjoyed seeing that positive side of what 2020 was. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, just one follow-up question just before uh, yours that I'll, I'll totally forget if I don't say it now, but um, are you guys seeing more like, to your point, people getting back into it, but are you also seeing like, what kind of like age demographic are we talking? Are you talking like kind of midlife crisis? I got to, now that COVID's happened, I've got to get back outside. Or are we seeing more of, you know, younger anglers, people in their twenties, uh, kind of who, who's gravitating towards? Well, I think we're the wrong people to ask there because we don't make terminal tackle that is really bought across the age spectrum evenly, I guess. Like, since we're more of a lifestyle apparel brand, our demographic tends to skew much younger anytime. So we definitely still see a lot of engagement, you know, in the 20 and 30s set. But that's, um, I don't know, Corinne, would you say? I mean, that being said, I also, on the customer service side, you know, people that we interact with via email, 
there's a lot of an older demographic that's finding up your water. Definitely historically, we were like the young brand, both as humans and in the uh, customer base and how many years we'd been around. But now with more products that aren't just a quote unquote flat brim hat, um, sun shirts and t-shirts and button downs or um, even just like a fine art print exactly. or the drinkware has been really a big like a big category for us like the old and you have to be glasses. 21 to get those <laughs> <laughs> at least to buy the good stuff to put in them no i see i don't have any good data of course because we just kind of send stuff out on a daily basis um but i know that from my individual interactions on email and, and messages, it's all of the above. It's my friend just took me out for the first time. I'm in college, but we can't be inside. Or I took my family out because I used to love this when I was a kid, and now I have kids of my own and I'm taking them out. So it's kind of been all of the above. Yeah, it's been super cool to see all these people getting getting interested in fly fishing recently. Like I had so many people text me when we were out of school and all at home asking where they can get a rod, where they can go fish and stuff like that. And it was, it was super cool because it's people that like, I know I've been curious about it, but not really like they've just kind of kicked the tires, but never made the time to do it because they're busy. And then all of a sudden you have all this time and it's the it was the best way to social distance because you're like even if you're fishing with people you're not fishing with the right people if you're within six feet of each other and you you have a bad fishing buddy especially if they're above you um (laughs) so um but i think it's really cool and i think that on the on the note of like how y'all got started and what you're doing now it is there any advice? Cause I know that um, we talked about this with Heather on the last episode, but this generation of kids coming up through college are very passion driven. And I think we're going to see a lot more people wanting to get jobs in the fly fishing industry, in the outdoor industry. I'm one of them. Um, and would you have any advice for people wanting to, get into the industry, maybe if they have an idea or if they just want to work for one of those brands, what they can, can do or just any general advice. I think those are two very separate groups of people, the people that have an idea and want to bring a product to market. That's, I mean, we can yeah. talk about that. That's, you have to be okay with failing. You have to be okay with taking risks. You have to be okay with being really uncomfortable because there were some struggles early on in Rep Your Water. We both worked full-time jobs for five years. Um, so you have to work your ass off for lack of a better term. Yeah. A little bit on the other side as well, you have to work really hard because it's a very intimate, very small industry. People see like, oh, so many people fly fish, there's so many brands, but it it really is an intimate, small group of brands. I would say what you are doing, Joseph, is the right thing. You are an intern with one of the best conservation organizations in our country that is very well connected with the entire fishing community, obviously more focused on cold water fishing. Um, but start, be willing to start at the bottom 
make connections, network, work hard, ask what you can do to build others up and respect those that came before you. We recognize that we've only been around for 11 years. There are people who came before us that really set the, the path for us, especially our fly shops that we like to support. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's an industry of small businesses. So we need to build each other up and, and work together. Garrison, other thoughts? I think you pretty much covered it there. I mean, the fly fishing industry is such a is such an awesome industry because of the people. You know, the it. I like to say when you're at like a show or something that's a fly fishing industry show, there there's a lot of characters there, but there aren't a lot of duds. There's not a lot of people that you talk to. You're like, well, that guy was just boring, or that lady <laughs> just didn't have much to offer you know like they're really interesting passionate people that love the sport and that's why they're in the industry it makes it a harder industry i think to get into because there are a ton of people that are in the industry just as passion projects right yeah so it makes it even more competitive to get your foot in your in the door and to corinne's point like just being willing to start at the bottom and worked hard and learn from and look to those people who have come before you to kind of start moving up the ladder is key, I think. Our very first employee, he got paid, but not a lot, but he also got college credit. So he was in like a business school and his final semester needed an internship paid or otherwise, and he had to do schoolwork on the side related to it. And he reached out like, I love your products. Are you hiring? And we were like, actually, we were just about to think about hiring. This could be a great fit for all of us. You know, he's yeah. relatively cheap for us. He's also getting a really cool internship because we were new and we listened to a lot of his ideas. He was fresh in the business school mind. Um, so we kind of built each other up, him as an employee and us as a business. And he was with us for two years. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think that on that, that point, I think most schools and for any college student listening, I got credit for internships and jobs. And I think most all colleges are willing to offer that as credit for anyone. And I think that's a great opportunity because personally, you only learn so much in the classroom and sometimes, especially with Zoom University, it is tough to actually digest materials. But if you're working on a project like, uh, your employee was, then you're actually learning what you want to do and you end up being more passionate about it and actually learning. Um, And I think that on the note of small businesses, I know that y'all do 3% for conservation for all your, all your, uh, is it sales or, or uh, profits? Sales. Okay. That's impressive because (laughs) As like a small business, like in order to give back in anything, you have to be profitable for the most part. Um, That's just like economics for the most part. And I think that that's so cool that y'all are committed to giving 3% of your sales to conservation. Um, That philanthropy is amazing. I just would love to hear y'all go into why y'all wanted to do that and the organizations and causes you've uh, helped out so far. Sure. Well, we wanted to build that into the model early on, you know, as I mentioned, we came out with the Colorado, um, 
design first. We're Colorado natives and we live here, right? And we wanted there to be something conservation um, tied to that product that went back to Colorado specifically. So we reached out to Colorado Trout Unlimited, the Colorado chapter of Trout Unlimited, and made a relationship with them to donate a percentage back on all Colorado products. At that time, it was 1%. At that time, it was 1%. And at that time, you know, our margins were so bad that, like, if we sold the hat wholesale, initially, we realized we were maybe losing a few pennies just because we didn't have any margin. But it was very important to grow the brand and to have that placement in fly shops and to build the brand with a pushback to conservation model. Yeah. So that initial Colorado TU relationship set the stage for a broader regional model where we have um, different organizations around the country that we push back to. So in the Pacific Northwest, we work with the Wild Steelhead Coalition. Um, down in Florida, we work with the Bonefish and Tarpon Trust. Um, we work with various chapters of backcountry hunters and anglers um, mm-hmm. in certain areas in western states. Um, Different national fish habitat partners, the Western Native Trout Initiative, and then the Driftless Restoration Project, um, Atlantic Brook Trout Project, yeah, there's a nice little a little run of them, and it, it more or less covers the country. There's some potential holes in a few states, uh, but more or less covers the country and, and really carries through that original regional model um, to hopefully bring a little bit more meaning to those conservation dollars that when you buy a Colorado hat, it's supporting something in Colorado. Cool. So something I also wanted to mention was – y'all have recently gone carbon neutral and I'm curious what, what led to that decision, what went into it and what things did y'all have to change about your brand and how you did things to get to that point? Yeah. I think another good piece to add to that is what does carbon neutral mean? Yeah. Um, so we'll start with the why, cause that's the critical piece. The why is that climate change is real and it is one of the largest threats to fisheries and fish. So those are things we care about. And so we want to do what's within our control. Yeah. So part of that is trying to, well, lessen our footprint overall as a brand, right? And that's, that's a long-term goal. But in the meantime, carbon neutrality is offsetting the carbon emissions from our brand with carbon sink projects. Right. So we went through a lot of calculations, everything from inbound shipments, outbound shipments, factory production of products, right? Uh, Travel, travel, uh, even like business travel, marketing travel, all of those emissions, right? So there's a lot of calculations that go into that. Marketing travel means going fishing. Correct. (laughs) Anytime we go fishing, I mean, it is marketing. So you got to factor that in. Um, but anyway, then, you know, purchasing reputable offsets. So carbon sink projects that are taking carbon out of the atmosphere, right. Mm -hmm. And working to offset those emissions. So we chose specific projects that have meaning for us as a brand, um, you know, a bird sanctuary in South Carolina, um, restoration of a grassland area here in Colorado. Yep. 
black bear habitat um, in Alaska. That's managed by a tribe up there. Um, and the other thing that I think is critical to talk about with carbon neutrality is what Garrison mentioned is these are really reputable projects. You know, they're really managed for um, getting carbon out of the atmosphere and back into the soil. Carbon exists on our planet. It And there are people that think that this is a little bit pointless because there are people who will just sell a carbon offset, quote unquote. They're like, we will plant a tree for you. Mm-hmm. It's not really traceable. It's not really specific. And it's not honestly that helpful in the short, in the long term. Yes, let's plant a bunch of trees. That's great. Um, but what these projects do is get the carbon out of the atmosphere, which causes climate change and back into the soil, which creates a healthier environment. Awesome. Um, are any of those projects like, so how does that, uh, relate back to the clothing that you're putting out? Are you all using recycled materials in, uh, your new line and, yeah. So like I said, part of the goal is to like reduce our footprint and our carbon emissions as a brand in terms of how we produce things. Right. But also part of that goal is a sustainability journey um, in terms of the actual product story. Right. So the hoodie that I'm wearing right now is made from recycled polyester and uh, upcycled, you know, recycled cotton. Your hat um, is also Yep, my hat is made from EcoTwill, so recycled polyester and organic cotton blend. Um, our fish masks, which are like a neck gaiter uh, type product, are 100% recycled polyester. Um, so we are working more and more towards those recycled products. Um, the other piece is packaging. Of course, packaging is this necessary evil. And... Um, we use, it's about 70% of the poly bags that we use are made from recycled plastic. Yeah. And I think that what's cool to see is y'all um, are taking this step, being one of the first brands in the fly fishing industry to go carbon neutral. And to we all care about conservation and we care about these places we fish, but y'all are showing a tangible way that you're making a difference in what's the serious issue for our fisheries and for our wildlife. And I think that um, in order to really make changes, we need to see more brands doing what y'all are doing and going carbon neutral and trying to offset and reverse this uh, terrible, terrible thing we're doing to our environment right now with, and yes, we can't, stop making people and slow down how many people are on this earth. And, um, but we can make a difference. We can slow that down, but well, it might be a topic for another day. (laughs) Um, but I do think that we can do as much as we can to, we're never going to be perfect, but we can try to strive for it and try to slow it down. And I think that that's going to make a huge difference for, what fisheries and wildlife look for our grandchildren and for their kids, especially we've seen this crazy decline of everyone saying like, Oh, you should have seen this place like 15, 20 years ago. Well, 
that would have been awesome. Well, except 21 years ago, I wasn't even alive. So we want to make sure that we we don't have to tell our kids like, oh, this place was the best 20 years ago. It's like, well, how did like, I, I wish it was. What did you do to mitigate that? And I think right. that's super cool that that y'all are mitigating that to where you're you're not gonna you're not gonna be one of the problems. Yeah, it's all it's all a balance. You have to recognize we're humans. We have an impact on this earth, um, and then just taking those little steps that you can. Our first step was going zero waste to landfill. So we have over ninety five percent of our uh, weight is the only it's the easiest way to measure that going not in landfill. So recycling, compost, um, upcycling, depending on the product, depending right. on the waste. Yeah. And from a product specific point of view, you know, you touched on recycled materials. What's really exciting for us right now is the technology has come such a long way that a lot of these recycled materials are um, really high quality and even a lot of times better performance or as good if not better than a virgin material so you know like i said this hoodie that i'm wearing that's a recycled poly upcycled cotton blend like it's a really comfortable fabric like it's a really nice quality piece um, we're coming out with a whole new line of sun hoodies and sun shirts this spring be out uh late february early march and they're 100 percent recycled polyester um, so, you know, they're UPF 50, they're really comfortable, they're moisture wicking, they're light and all of those kind of really nice performance pieces out of that hundred percent recycled, uh, content, which is cool to see. Yeah, totally. And that's a great, great transition into hearing a little more about what's coming, coming down the pipe for, uh, rep your water in the spring and, uh, summer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, those sun shirts and sun hoodies is one new piece of the line that we're really excited about. Bunch of different designs and new colors to offer there. Um, of course, hats and um, like logo wear, um, headwear is a big piece of what we do. So we have a ton of new um, designs coming out there. We have some some various riffs on on pen and ink drawings designs I did that are uh, like compass based with a trout or a tarpon in them. So keep an eye out for those. I'm pretty excited about that series. Um, still working on the tagline there. Maybe like for those of us whose compass always points to the, to the water, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that we've been working on is trying to keep a couple of our, what I would call outlier fits, you know, everybody has a preferred way that a hat fits and mm-hmm. 90% of ours are just your standard, uh, fitting hat. And we've added a couple extras in the low profile for smaller heads and then like high profile. In the Very base. cool. So we could talk about clothing all, all day. I know. Um, but I thought it'd be great to mention that y'all have a podcast as well. Uh, it's called Fish Stories, and I really enjoy it. Um, I know a lot of people that do, so I think that this would be a great, great opportunity to get y'all to share one of your your favorite 
favorite fish stories because we love we love conservation and it's amazing and I know I wouldn't be involved in conservation if it weren't for uh, being in love with fishing and I think that a lot of people feel the same way so I think that we should uh, dig into to some great great fish stories some fish porn. I love it. It's fishing stories. I'm sure fish stories would pull it up, but oh, my bad. Yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, the podcast. Thanks for that. It, we've been having fun with it. The the genesis of it is, you know, after you have a great day on the water, especially if you're on a trip with a group of people or something, you know, and you come together, hopefully around a campfire or, you know, in a lodge at a rustic table somewhere and you're having a drink maybe and you're telling fishing stories right totally we we love that um and we found like with so many of the great podcasts that are out there they're you know oriented at techniques or you know more biography or you know a lot of these other things that are awesome and there's these little snippets of fishing stories they would hear like oh yeah when i was at this spot we'd be like wait a minute I want to hear the whole story about that. That sounds like a good, that sounds like a good story, you know? So that was sort of the, uh, the genesis of it. Yeah. It was actually April Bookie's podcast. She was talking to Yako Lucas and he tells 12 seconds of this story of chasing a tiger shark off of coral so that it didn't, uh, scare the GT and the GT wrapper on the coral. I mean, it was, the fastest story that had so many elements. And I was like, that's, that should be a podcast in itself. Yeah. <laughs> and you yeah. got it. You got, you got the story. Well, we didn't you got, get that, you get that one, but Yaku, yeah. yeah, we did get some good, some good content from Yaku. <laughs> yeah. So let's see a fishing story from us. That's a, that's a tough one to pull out of the hat. I think I would go to, you know, something from our home water. We're in Colorado here. We do a lot of, trout fishing here in the mountain west in colorado and beyond and uh last summer you know it was early summer kind of a just a standard beautiful rocky mountain day we were fishing a piece of water that we fish actually quite a bit it's it's kind of one of our pieces that we go back to again and again and we've been fishing it for a long time and it's nice average you know nice average size of trout in there and and pretty good numbers um some nice wild fish but we don't usually see anything that's super noteworthy of size. You know, you usually catch a couple like, oh, that was a great fish. But you're not like there to hog hunt, quote unquote, you know. Yeah. But um, we were working through. The water was real clear. And I was fishing kind of a long, light rod, like European style, tight line nymphing. Um, there wasn't a lot of dry fly action that day. Um, pretty light tippet. And I was working up, and there's this kind of deep little juicy bouldery slot. And I could immediately, when I snuck up, see this fish. And at first, I thought it was a brown because it was like almost coppery on the back. Mm -hmm. And it was, but it was like light enough colored compared to the substrate that you could see it moving and feeding. And I sneak up and I'm watching it. And then I could see when it would move to the side, it had like massive red color flashes off of the gill plate. So I was like, oh, it's a, it's a rainbow or cut bow of some kind. And uh, I sat there and, and watched this fish move and eat. And uh, 
set up on it and you know when you set up on a fish that's it's just so solid and the first couple of head shakes you're like "Uh uh-oh yeah this is a real one this is going to be a little bit of a tussle and of course this slot is right in front of a section that's just all fast water rapids like just rips so you're absolutely toast if that fish goes down downstream on you so i immediately like run into the run behind him you know so he's working upstream and then i'm working towards the other bank because corinne's on the other side so i'm working over there i'm yelling at corinne she's coming down with the net you know everything's kind of under control the fish is fighting upstream for me. Everything's good. I'm kind of turning them, you know. All right, all right. I've made it across at this point. Corinne's over there. She's got the net. I'm like, okay, Corinne, this is a good one, you know. And then, of course, he turns and just rips down the bank <laughs> and into this fast water. I'm like, oh, oh, no. And then we just had a full, like, hold the rod high, run in, fell in a couple of times. Full river runs through it, floating down the yeah. river. Exactly. Just like fell in, ripping down the river. Finally found this little soft water seam and put just like, I was like, I'm either going to break them off or I'm going to turn them in because this is kind of my last shot right here, you know? Yeah. And put a bunch of pressure on them. And, and on the uh, net side of things, I was like, I'm diving in after this. <laughs> <laughs> We're not losing it at this point. Unfortunately, point. we had like our standard waiting net, which is like decent size. It's usually fine. And Corinne scooped the fish and it was like head and tail almost in the bucket. And then as soon as he flopped, he's back out. And we were like, oh no, that's it. He's <laughs> he, now he's really gone. Yeah, but, but I was in with a fast second scoop. Second scoop was one of those ones <laughs> he had to, like, get his head in the net and then tail him. And uh, anyway, just a memorable fish. It's not it's not usually about trying to find, like, really big fish for us. Don't get me wrong. We love to chase, chase some decent-sized trout. But usually it's sort of more of a balance for us of places where we love to be and sort of the – the experience and, and water that we like to fish. But since this was a piece of water that we fished a lot and know really well, and then to, to land that fish that was definitely an outlier for us in terms of just the, the size and coloration. I mean, just a stunning, stunning trout. Oh yeah. So that's my fishing story for now. Awesome. Blows, it blows my mind sometimes. Like I have those spots too where you go all the time and um, every once in a while you get just gifted with this amazing fish out of this water where you're only catching like normal fish for the most part. And right. it's always on those days where you're not, when you're not trying to catch big, big fish. Like I can float the Chattahoochee and throw streamers all day and try to catch fish. But then one day you're throwing a bobber rig with, a tiny nymph on the bottom and you end up catching the big fish and you're like, I wore my shoulder out the other day. Um, or it's on like, Oh, I'm going to make one last cast on this one stream. And you're just kind of done for the day. And you're like, all right, we'll go home after this one, like one run. And all of a sudden you're hooked up into a big fish and like, where, where does this come from? I remember, um, I'm going to interject a little story of my own, me and my buddies, our club goes up to, North Carolina every semester pre COVID we're on the Davidson, um, way, way up on a part of it. Um, and 
it's a bunch of small wild rainbows. And I was fishing my two weight fiberglass rod and I was like, it's getting really dark. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to like bass set the next fish, which is might make people cringe at home. Uh, I decided I'm just going to bass set the next fish. It might like on this, it has to be on this drift though. If not, we're going home. Uh, the same run that I've only caught every small fish in and, um, I'd really light tip it, really light rod. I wasn't afraid I was going to throw the fish on the bank or anything. And bobber goes down. I'm calling it a bobber. It's a bobber. And I just wail, like, I just bass at it. And my rod, I I feel like it bent almost to the cork. And I was fishing, like, 7X tip it. And it had been, I hadn't changed it all day. And somehow... That rod went down, and I looked at my buddy, and I was like, no way. That has to be a rock. And the rock started moving. And I, I start playing it, and I get it up to the water. I was like, there's absolutely no way. Oh, my gosh. I just caught, like, for that section of water, a four- to six-inch little wild rainbow was, was the fish. And I pulled in this, like, 15 I'll say it was 15. It might have been more. I'm on the lower side. I don't, I'm not the line type of fisherman. And I was like, there's no way. That was the craziest thing. That fish should have broken off when I said it. And it probably should have broken me off when I was fighting it. And the fact that it was a bass set, no one believed me when I got back to the, when I got back to the, uh, the cabin we were staying at. But so you had that tippet protection with the fiberglass. Yeah, the oh, fiberglass yeah. that, coming in with the clutch that, on that. That rod. was the moment I fell in love with that rod. It was my <laughs> is now my favorite rod ever. I've caught a five pound bass on it. I've caught so many little panfish on it. It's it's the best rod. Everyone should have a two eight fiberglass rod. Collecting species sizes on one specific rod. Yeah, I don't know if we have a two weight glass. We have a three weight in glass, and we definitely have a multiple two weights but uh we'll have to add the two weight glass rod to the arsenal well for down here in in the south when you're doing those little app brook trouts brook trout the i couldn't do the three weight because the three weight was like seven feet and this two weight is five six which is shorter than me and so when i get in there like in those tight ronodendron all over your head it you can't use a seven foot ride it's gotta be it's gotta be shorter I have a six foot three weight. I call it the magic wand because I feel like it's so short. It's it's like a totally different casting stroke with those little tiny rods. It's amazing. Yeah, I love it. So we had this one that one fishing story from y'all, and then I interjected with my what I thought was going to be a short story. But what's y'all's favorite species of target? Y'all have traveled all over. Um, been to some cool places, caught some cool fish. What's what's y'all's favorite so far? We get that question a lot, and I have a different answer, I think, every time someone asks me. Um, but right now I really do have Golden Dorado on the brain because we're supposed to go back um, in August of this year to the jungle. Yeah, uh, Golden Dorado are awesome. I really love tarpon i will say that being a mountain west guy like floating a quasi remote western river 
throwing streamers at a bank for brown trout is definitely a happy place for me that I'll return to again and again. Let's be honest, probably bluegill is my favorite. Corinne does love <laughs> the panfish mission, if we're being honest. They're fun, especially yeah. on those small rods we were talking about. Pretty poppers. Underrated. Definitely yeah. underrated. And they'll, <laughs> they'll crush a popper. That's how I caught that big bass. Was a, it was a bycatch. I was fishing for I was fishing for panfish. <laughs> I love it. Panfish are so fun. Um, well, guys, thank you so much. I would love for y'all to tell people how they can find y'all um, and maybe when they can expect the the new line to be coming out. For sure. We are at Rep Your Water on the social media handles. Uh, not much going on on Twitter, so that's probably not your uh, your highest value follow there. But Instagram is our is good. Facebook's good. Uh, the website is just repyourwater.com. Check that out. Um, the podcast is Fishing Stories, uh, available wherever you download. Not Fish uh, Stories. Right. <laughs> and the spring line will be out uh, late February, definitely early March. So so check that out. Stay tuned. Um, lots of new stuff dropping this spring. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for coming on. It's always great to... Uh, have you all supporting five rivers and have for a while so thanks for coming it was great talking great hearing about the amazing things you're doing yeah, thank you thanks, y'all. cheers